the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. What is up, everybody? Welcome inside Studio 34. This is... Is Doc Jock. He is Dr. Mitchell Roslin. I am Greg Sussman. We have so much to talk about over the next hour or so. Let's get right into it. Doc, how's it going? It's going well. And it, it, there's so many fascinating things to, to, to speak about. You know, we usually start with the NFL. The Jets, yeah. the Jets are back to being an NFL franchise. Kansas City, um, does, it does not look like Kansas City is going to be a cakewalk to the Super Bowl. They look very vulnerable. Yep. And um, San Francisco, if you use the eye test, possibly has been the best team in the NFL. And the question, I mean, you're nodding your head because you would say Patriots. I, I, I actually, you know, and maybe I'm, I'm crazy. I didn't think the Patriots looked all that mighty, and it's interesting to talk about. And I think that they're going to be the next teams whose vulnerabilities will be seen, but as, you know, if you're going to go by precedent, they'll get it right by end of December. Yeah, I think the Patriots are one of these teams that figure it out. Obviously, they didn't look great against the Giants. I totally agree with that. They destroyed On them. one hand, they did, and on one hand, they don't. Right. didn't. On, on one hand, you, you know, yes, the Giants were playing without everybody. You know, they, tons of players. But he was throwing to Gunner and Jacoby Myers. So, like, you know, it sounded like a law firm. His tight end was Izzo. It, it wasn't as if right. these were household names sure. and they still moving down the field. On the other hand, the Giants had a lot of pressure, sacked him three times, had an interception, fumble well. recovery. I don't know if they played well or the Patriots offensive line is more vulnerable, I, I guess, until Dante coaches them up. Um than than usual and and I think it's kind of interesting segue that the Chiefs if you really count the line game have really lost the battle at the line of scrimmage for the last three weeks and it made me think about what has made the Patriots so good for so long I think it's a very interesting statistic the Patriots run the ball inside the five-yard line more than any other team in the NFL the Giants' defense in general, like you said, they were able to get to Tom Brady last Thursday night. And given the holes New England has, as you said just mo- moments ago, they're going to fill it in as it goes on to December, and they always a team that gets better. The fact that they're undefeated right now, I think says a lot of how good they are right now. I think San Francisco's defense is fantastic. You mentioned San Francisco, who you believe the best team in football. I don't know that their offense is good enough to face some of these high-flying teams. Sure, the Rams, uh, but their offensive line is terrible. The Rams' offensive line is awful. Jared Goff has regressed. Sean McVay, boy wonder, has regressed. Has Jared Goff and Sean McVay regressed? Or when you can run the ball and you put more people in the box, does everybody become a better play caller? So I- and 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 and. Are we now, you know, going back where we're all enamored by the greatest show on turf and things like that, by the way, they won one Super Bowl. Um, But, and the point that I made about the Patriots is we always think about Brady. We always think about, you know, Brady to Gronk. But as I said, over the last 10 years, 
they've ran the ball inside the five-yard line more than any other team. And I guess what we're really seeing is football is still, even with the different rules, even with the, you know being more friendly to throw the ball, it's still a battle at the line of scrimmage. And when Indianapolis beat the Chiefs up, the Patriots' defensive line is beating up other offensive lines. But if the Patriots' offensive line can't beat up other teams' defensive lines, and I think the Jet game is coming in is, is an interesting game, I think we're going back in a strange way where strength in the middle is probably being underrated because of outside speed. And we're coming back to a point where if you dominate the middle, everything spreads from that. I agree 1,000% that everything comes from the defensive line and the offensive line and winning those battles in the trenches. The Rams have not been able to do that. Going back to your question, have they regressed or is the lack of a running game allowing them to um, or not allowing them to run their offense? I think that... Which by and large is why I don't think the Steelers are dead. I think the Steelers' defensive line is getting better. I think that... You know, playing a third spring quarterback, their offensive line seems to be coming slightly along and they always had talent on that. And I don't think that division, I think that I don't think Baltimore is head and tails better than anybody. I think on any given Sunday, Cleveland could win a game. Cincinnati's not going to go 0 and 16. Although they might, you know, they, <laughs> you know, at least you wouldn't have believed so at the beginning of the season. Sure. You know, and, 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 Honestly, they, they're, they're, they're probably, if they're smart, they trade A.J. Green this year. They, I agree. They, they break down the I team. Agree. So that, that may change things to some extent in that division because they have to break it down. It, 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 you know, they made their attempts with A.J. Green, Dalton, you know, Joe Nixon's a nice back. So I think they have to break it down. So they may break it down all of the way. As they, sh- as they should. Uh, whenever you get one of these new head coaches and, and regimes, you got to break it down. They're going to need a new quarterback. They're going to need new... Uh, the wide receivers have actually come on, the younger ones. Joe Mixon's young. The defense has to get better. They need to totally, totally bottom out. You know what's fascinating, and I, I, sure. and I heard this, is, is Minnesota. So sure. on one of the Vegas shows... They said that Kurt Cousins, and this was before the Giant game, has ridiculously good numbers in one o'clock early games okay. and absolutely awful in primetime games. And they made the statement that he is so regimen, almost OCD-like, that if you throw him off his routine, he's absolutely terrible. So two weeks ago... Everyone was saying Kirk Cousins was the worst quarterback, the worst signing in history. Has two great weeks. I mean, you can write off the giant week, but then goes in yesterday, has a a great game at Philadelphia. And it was interesting. They were both one o'clock starts (laughs) early on. But I think Minnesota is another team that has a very strong defensive line. And I would not, you know, I'd say that they have a puncher's chance in that division. Um, And I think Dallas will be all right as well. So you have a lot of teams that you think are going to be all right that are kind of in the mix here. They all have the same thing in common, that those lines are the strongest part of their teams. I don't want to say the Steelers can compete with a second or third string quarterback, but their defense very much is for real. I think Minnesota, one o'clock games, and their defense is for real. You go back to San Francisco, their defense is for real. These defenses 
almost the story of the year thus far, I think, because so much of last year was about the offense of Kansas City and the Rams putting up 50 points on the regular. But we mentioned the Rams. The Chiefs have really been dialed back the last couple of weeks as well with, with uh, Mahomes battling that ankle sprain with but teams even more being able to keep the ball away from him a little bit. Even more important, and, and it's an interesting conversation, people were arguing is Pat Mahomes had a better career than Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Um, and, and if you really actually look at the numbers, the answer is probably no. Um, Deshaun Watson's really won a lot of football games. Mm-hmm. He, he's a winning quarterback. I, I think that a lot of the Chiefs' issues, you know, it, it's like everything interconnects. A lot of the Chiefs' issues is that their defensive line is getting blown off the line of scrimmage. I think they come out, and I don't think it's an offensive problem. They got off to a 17 nothing lead yesterday, but... Again, they lost the battle and they lost the war of attrition. And by the fourth quarter, when Houston had to, they were able to walk down the field, run ball control, and keep Mahomes off 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 the board. Indianapolis basically beat them by throwing you know 150 body shots. Sure, they basically beat them up, and I think that the Lions beat them up too, but the Lions kind of felt they had to outscore them. They didn't realize how vulnerable I think they were, and that led to them losing losing that game. But the Chiefs easily could have lost the last three games, and they're losing the battle at the line of scrimmage. I think that they went ahead, and they've gotten all of these edge rushers, but they just don't have the push and the strength on the inside. And I think that's where football's going back to, where you, know, you looked at the Eagles... When they won the Super Bowl, Fletcher Cox was a big part of that. Um, all of the years that New England was good, you look at a Vince Wolfolk that tied down the middle of the field. I think that, you know, that seems to be, I think that was lost because you see the sacks coming from the edge. And it's going to be the teams that can dominate in the middle that I think are going to do better consistently. I mean, I think that that's what we're seeing. That's why we see this helter-skelter. Where, where, where the stock values of these teams go up and down so so quickly. Absolutely. And the lines, not unlike bullpens, are not always predictable. And, and I think the, you see the most injuries along those lines in the trenches. And the Rams last year were able to stay healthy, right? They put all of those 16 games together, and you saw the continuity there. Uh, the Chiefs have battled this year offensive line issues. and Cowboys played yesterday without the, both of their Absolutely, absolutely. There's, that's no coincidence that Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley and the running game in Kansas City doesn't look nearly as good without a healthy offensive line. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, and in a salary cap league... And you paying your skilled positions, it, it, it seems that the unpredictable nature of this is whose bullpen is going to be best at the end of the year, whose offensive right. line is going right. to be best towards the end of the year. And it seems like that's the moving grid that you see. Sure. Now, sure. A, few, a few things when we leave football, and, and, and that is... Um, you know, you saw Sam Donald come back, and I, I guess if you're going to vote for a most valuable player, you have to vote for them because the Jets didn't even look like an NFL franchise for the four weeks they were at. But, I mean, 
obviously Donald played well. Obviously, he gave energy to everybody. But didn't you find that whole thing crazy? It almost seemed like they weren't trying. I mean, they couldn't have brought in somebody better than Luke Falk. It also tells you that Davis Webb must be absolutely all Horrific. I mean, he, 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 because he was mentioned in the same breath as Pat Mahomes, if you look at the pre-draft thing. The Jets had him, and I believe that they could have re-signed him off of Buffalo's practice squad. I don't think he was eligible. I mean, it, it seemed like, you know, you know, the Cleveland game, they were into, and then Simeon gets hurt basically on the first drive of the game. And after that, it seemed like Adam Gaze just kind of packed it in until yesterday. It's really weird. You you know, okay, and and Luke Falk was with him in Miami, and he was dread awful. But they couldn't have gotten somebody else in here. They couldn't have gotten the duck in here to, you know, with his duck calls. Uh, Somebody just to show that they were trying. Wasn't that kind of strange, that whole scenario? Almost like. They, they laid down until Donald was coming back. It's bizarre, to be honest with you. To go with Trevor Simeon, who immediately got hurt, and then Luke Falk for the next three weeks or so. And then cut him in an and hour. cut him in an hour when Donald which, was back. Which means that you couldn't have believed in him. Right. It's, it's, it's like they were not trying. It was mind-boggling. It was like Gase didn't want to show anything when he didn't have a quarterback that could execute. Right, isn't the goal to, as some would say, win football games? Isn't that, isn't that the goal? They didn't try. I agree. It, it seemed like he was like a kid pouting. Like they took away his shiny toy and he was going to show you. It was very, very strange. I've never seen that in professional sports, to be perfectly honest. I've never felt, I mean, and again, if there was ever an argument that Colin, Colin Kaepernick has been blackballed. Right. I mean, you know, you just had to watch. Well, if you look, I mean, you know who the owners of the Jets are. They're not bringing in Colin Kaepernick. I mean, it's, 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 it's. But I, I've never seen that to that level where, I mean, I'm not talking about blowing games for a draft pick or the process as people are referring to, or even what Miami, you know, is doing, which is trading. No issue with that. They're trying to win. They seem to be trying to win games with players that are on the field. But the Jets spent millions of dollars in free agency. They bring people in like Levy and Bell who are in their prime. Jamison Crowder. I mean, and, and CJ Mosley, CJ Mosley, who was out as well. And I said it, you know, all viruses are different. You really can't, you know, people talking about out for the year, Hispanic enlargement. They're all different. You, you can't extrapolate because your daughter who played lacrosse at Lafayette has, has mono that it's the same virus, you know, in the same, same disease course that Sam Bonnell had. But it, it was amazing. Like they just wrote it off. I've never seen a pro franchise do that before. It was they just gave up. And and again, I don't I don't know the you know I think the New England game is in the Meadowland. It is in MetLife next week because they played up in New England the first. That's correct. Time. So, I mean, I would actually think that that line is only, is going to be less than five points. That's probably we probably probably have that right now, right? right. Monday night next week. Monday night football. Excuse my phone. Actually, hold on one second. That's exactly what it is. So right now, Monday night football, the Jets and the Patriots. What do you think it was? I would say five. New England five. Double it. Ten? Ten. I think that line's way too high. Bet on the Jets. 
I think that line's way too high. I think the get Jets, on the grid. Bet on the Jets. I, I, I think the Jets are going to show up, and and I, you know, again, it, 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 again, New England hasn't had to score. Okay, they really haven't had to score, but their offense did not look great against the Giants. Their offense did not look great against Buffalo, and I didn't think their offense looked great against the Jets, mm-hmm. who really weren't even trying. So I, I think that this is an energy, energized Jet team. I still think their offensive line stinks. But if their offensive line is getting better, I give them a puncher shot. We'll see what happens Monday night. Patriots have seemed vulnerable to an extent. Let's see what the Jets can do on Monday night football as they host the New England Patriots this Monday, ESPN. So you brought up bullpen. So I think that is you know, a, a great segue into baseball. And let's go back to before we go on to the Yankees, Astros, and 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 the Cardinals, Nationals. Let's go back to Los Angeles and Dave Roberts and the decision about keeping Clayton Kershaw, where it seemed like everybody in the media clobbered him and by saying that you know he's a starter, he's never pitched well in the playoffs, starters start. Relieve is relieve. And Dave Roberts, who won 106 games, shouldn't be even brought back to be the manager of the Dodgers. What's your opinion on that? So, it's a good question. It's a fair question. When you are up 3-1, you use Kershaw to get out of the inning, fine. But your formula is there, right? Like, you are in the situation... In the eighth inning, turn it over to your normal guys, but you don't have to do something different. You're not in that, you're not in that position that you're going to have to force something. Your starter did, Walker Bueller did exactly what he had to do. Walker Bueller did exactly what he had to do, but let's, you know, argument's sake, you know, and, and you're going to say they only used him for one batter. The Nationals used use Corbin. Got it. And go back to last year, Chris Sale. Now, go back to the Yankees-Astros series. Charlie Morton went four or five innings, if I remember correctly. But isn't it so? It all all comes down to trust, doesn't it? It comes down to trust. Well, I I, I, I think that sometimes we use the retrospectoscope. And, okay, so he gets you out of the seventh. Um, What's his name? Uh, 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 Rendon leads off, hits a home run. Now you have a left handed hitter. Coming up. You know, are you going to leave him in? What? You have to leave him in now. Right. And then Soto takes him deep, lefty and lefty, a 21-year-old against the Hall of Famer. I mean, and I know that everyone says that Clayton, you know, the stupidest argument I heard is that Clayton Kershaw is terrible in the late innings and playoffs. Very That dumb. assumes that he tires. Very, very dumb. Okay. I, I, I don't see that at all. Then the other thing they said is, oh, he's not a clutch pitcher. Well, there's some validity to that argument. If you look at his spreads in the playoffs and the regular season, they've not been great. But again, in Dodger Stadium, he's been unreal. And, and he has pitched. He pitched a, a gem against the Mets in the playoffs and stuff like that. I, I guess I'm, what I'm trying to say is it didn't work. They lost the series. You win 106 games. You're supposed to get out of the first round. But I, I wasn't as... 
I, I thought it was more retrospectoscope. I mean, are the same people saying that the Red Sox shouldn't have pitched Chris Sale at the end of last year. Are the same people saying the same thing when Charlie Morton. They just hailed those as brilliant performances. I mean, the Red Sox won by basically rotating Sale, David Price, whoever wasn't pitching, to kind of get home. Um, the Yankees, you know, and, and, and Houston are going to do kind of the same. So is everybody just jumping down his throat because it didn't work? Yes, of course. And that actually brings me back to brings me to last night with the Yankees, where I've seen a lot of people today, including my own group of friends that I woke up to this morning, killing Boone. Then the eleventh inning, or the tenth inning rather, he had to turn to CC Sabathia, Jonathan Loizaga, and Jay Hat. And in the eleventh inning, obviously, Hap allows the home run to Correa. And my thought was. You kidding? Paxton didn't have anything. Like he was never, he was nowhere around the plate. I, I think Boone is is managing to go for the jugular. Like every game counts. Absolutely. And and I thought Boone had this quote, Doc. He had this quote after the game, and I thought it was the perfect quote describing exactly how I thought about it as well. I want to read it to you. Do you consider it all? Even though it went well, once you remove a starter that early, it could start a chain of events where you go to extra innings. You're not using your traditional relievers. You're playing to win the game. You're not playing to what? If we go 13 innings, you know, I'll figure it out. You're playing to what gives us the best chance to win here. And the bottom line is, we ended up giving a third run in the 11th inning. From a run prevention standpoint, we did well. They were in the game. They went to extra innings. Their relievers I, allowed one run over nine innings. I think Boone has managed fantastically well incorporating, and I think you're going to see a different baseball on that. That's where I was segueing after this. But first of all, Again, Boone's job as a manager was to have the Yankees have a chance when Verlander left the game. Correct. That was his job as a manager. The fact that the Yankees couldn't score against Will Harris and Joe Joe Smith and Roberto Osuna is that they're professional baseball players. But the way you break down this series is that the goal in the the goal for the Yankees tomorrow night is to be within one run when Cole leaves the game. If they're tied and Cole, the fact that Verlander could not get a win in yesterday's game is a win for the Yankees. That means the manager did their job, unless of course like the day Verlander, Verlander didn't have it, but that was not the case. Verlander got to the bottom of the seventh. Two outs into the bottom of the seventh, if I'm right, okay, and leaves the game in a 2-2 tie. At that point in time, when you're sitting next to your friends and your fiance, you say advantage Yankees. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Now, the fact that the Yankees couldn't score a run, and the Yankees have done a great job taking a lot of pitching and stuff like that, is, is, you know, sometimes you don't always win, which doesn't mean you didn't play it right. You're going to get into a game, you play to win the game, where your last guy may have to pitch nine innings. Correct. I mean, you know, that's just the way it works. Now, here's where you get into the interesting argument. And, you know, again, if you have a Severino and he has been healthy the whole year, you potentially could even consider doing that. I would do that to win that game. If I had a chance, I'd use my starter the next day, and then I'd worry about Wednesday and then bring him back a day earlier after that. I think with dealing with Severino, who missed the entire year, you're not going to do anything to take him off of his schedule. Right. 
But had that been a Max Scherzer, okay? You know, it's no different. You know, I brought up Max Scherzer went and got the ball in, in the National Series in, in, the, mm-hmm. in, in the last mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. If it's a Max Scherzer who really is a very durable starting pitcher, and I'm sitting there in extra innings in a 10-10, in, a, in the 10th inning, and he wants the ball, I give it to him. Sure. I'll worry about Wednesday on Wednesday. Correct. Totally, I, I totally agree with that. And last night, Aaron Boone did everything he had to do to keep his team in the game. And Jay Happ allowed a, a solo shot in the 11th inning. And Adam Adovino allowed a solo shot in the 5th inning or the 6th right. inning, whatever it was. Yeah. What do you do? You know what and, I mean? And, and in all, yeah, chance, in, in chance, all honesty, chance. the Yankees were lucky to have a 2-1 lead. When you were watching that game... It, it, it seemed like they got the double play, I think, in the first inning. It seemed like Paxson was going to give up six runs. That was like he left, he left the game you know, giving up one run, and it seemed like they had four or five when you're watching that sure. game. You know, but it's so interesting, and you, we talk about Wednesday being a bullpen game. I, I think baseball's changing in our eyes, and it's going to change more that it's, it's getting so hard to find Verlanders and Garrett Coles and the Groms and Scherzers. And even when you find them, their health is very, very difficult. I think you're going to see, I mean, and I think Cashin alluded to this, like why pay somebody $30 million when you can pay three ten million per se? But the next generation of this is they're going to start Training people in the minor leagues to pitch two, three innings, mm-hmm. you know, in the, the, the American League. And I think that the thought process will be it will speed development, which is money, because you won't, since you don't need to see people three times through the order, you can get by with less pitches. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to bring up more arms to the, the National you know, League. You know, I've always thought it was a matter of time. Okay. Till the National League had the designated hitter. And I'm wondering if you see people now take the Tampa Bay strategy, really break it down to which matchups, and electively raise a farm system where you're pitching 140 innings a year, but you're doing it over 70 games, and you're just marching these guys on and off, and you can just do it whenever you want. I so, think we're heading towards that. So the Tampa, that make, do, do, you, do you get what I'm saying? I, I completely get what you're saying. So the Tampa Bay Rays last year when they instituted the opener, because they only had two starters on their team, they said, listen, if we're going to do this, we need our entire system to do this. They couldn't just get to the majors and then transform them. They wanted to build them up from the bottom up and be like, hey, we need you ready for this. Whether it's pitching every single day, those two innings a day, whether it's pitching every other day, three innings a day. We wanted people that would come up, know how to be openers, that would know how to be a bulk guy, that would know how to be a late inning guy. And I think you are going to see that. Coming well, it kind of makes sense because here, here's, here's what's happening. People say, well, why do people do, why, why is Anderson so good with the Rays and, and wasn't as good for Florida and stuff like that? One of the re- things is they've done a better job asking people to do what they do well rather than train them in the classic sense. So they're allowing people who have two good pitchers 
to pitch with two good pitchers, and they've figured out a way. Now, I'm not in the, 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 I'm not in the um, business of developing pitchers, but I would tend to think from a health standpoint, the amount of great starters that we've seen, we just brought up Luis Severino, and I hope he's never hurt again. But even the people that you would invest in, Chris Sale, it was certainly not the same this year that he was mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Okay, The amount of people that develop like Scherzer, that can do it year in and year out. Verlander, we talked about Clayton Kershaw, Madison Bumgarner, Adam Wainwright, I'll give you. They're much less than the people that come up and look like they're going to be the greatest pitcher that you've ever seen for a few years and then become Matt Harvey. Mm-hmm. So I would tend to think from a probability standpoint and a health standpoint, you're going to be better off. Now, I think the people like Steve Boris are going to have pushback. Scott Boris, yeah. Scott Boris are going to have pushback about that. But especially if I'm an American League team, and I, I think the only way to counter that, or unless that's, you know, because I don't think that would be great. You know, essentially, or first of all, you're going to have to stagger your lineup. You're not going to be able to have like murderous row three, four, and five. Because, you, you know, you could, I know most managers try to stagger righty-lefty and, and break it up so that you can't put in the lefty-dominant reliever. But even if you do that, they have one guy mm-hmm. and, and, and do that. But now, you know, they may do that in innings. And, 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 and you know, you could eventually have five people electively, I'm using a medical word now, pitching a nine-inning game. Sure, 100%. And I think that's where we're heading, and, and the systems are going to do that. I very much agree with that. I think, and you stated, it's going to be harder to do in the National League. You, yes, of course. But you, you stated this, and rightly, or correctly, I should say, in that it is really hard to develop the Jacob deGroms, the Max Scherzers, the uh, Adam Wainwrights, what have you. It, it, it's not easy to do. It's probably easy to develop for Tommy Canely's. Correct. Very much so. Who has two great two pitches. Two great pitches, could throw a 95 miles per hour, has a great changeup or slider, and that's it. So, Or Chad Green. I think what you're going to have is every team has your two starters, your traditional starters, maybe your three traditional starters, but you're going to see specifically in the AL, I agree with you, Teams relying on these guys that are going to go two and three innings, and that's and that's it. I think the that's the start of it, but I think it's going to go per- perpetual, especially if those teams do well. well I mean, it listen, may go across the board. Listen, we're seeing it. The two best teams in the American League all season long have been the Yankees and the Astros. The two best teams. And the Astros acquired Zachary and get the deadline. That's great. And the Yankees got Luis Severino back for the playoffs, and that's great. Both of these two teams have three starting pitchers. Both of them in the playoffs in the American League Championship Series in Game Four are going to have bullpen games. Something you, that is unheard of as recently as two years ago. Yeah, you would never have a bullpen game in Game Four of the Championship League Series, and both of them are going to do it. And and I think this is just the start. Mm-hmm. And I and that's why I I ask a question: Is I always thought when there was going to be uniformity, there'd be the designated hitter in the National League. Now. And I know the union wouldn't go for it because of the loss of stuff like that. I just wonder the way baseball's going if that or some other rule change is going to be because you may reach the point of nine pitches pitching nine innings well, or something. So, so what they're going to do about that, I think DH is definitely going to come to the National League. I think it's inevitable. 
Um, and in regards to the pitching changes, I think the, the rule next year is the start, right? That you have to face at least three batters. Like, that's going to be the start of it. And then we'll see... As I don't think changes. these teams care about that as much, you know, because well, it's, be it's the end of the loogie. Like what you saw from CC Sabathia last night won't happen anymore. Right. It, 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 that, that hurts the lefty special loogies. Yeah. But 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 what what they're going to do is we're going to see a essential uh, change. And then it becomes you're not going to see your DeGroms. You're not going to see your Scherzes because I don't think they're going to take the risk in developing those people. I, like I said, it's just easier of course to it get is. 10 Kami Canelys. But, I, yes, so, it, so you, your bullpen's only so deep that you need other you, You're going to need someone to give you Well, like. but again, it, 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 it's interesting because you're still looking at it from a classical thought process. I am. And, and, and realize, you know, let's look at these great pitchers. DeGrom, I know well because we know the Mets system better because we're local. DeGrom was not the apple of the Mets system coming Ew, up. No, certainly not. Syndergaard was. Okay. Or, or Harvey. He, he was actually, even Matt's you heard about more. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, Severino was the apple of the Yankee system. Mm-hmm. And now, now, now Diaz, Diaz. I really don't, you know, Scherzer was not considered the great young prospect when he came up with Detroit. Well, Scherzer was a big-time prospect. That's not true for, for Arizona. Scherzer was a big-time prospect. He was traded. traded. Detroit, yeah. Yeah, he gets traded. And, um, you know, I, I, I have no idea about Kershaw or, or you know, I, so I, remember, I remember him as a, a major league pitcher. Well, Walker Bueller was a big-time prospect. for Walker, Walker Bueller is a fantastic prospect. But again, Walter Bueller has not had longevity yet. Not yet. Of course not. I mean, you know, Walter Walker Bueller is at the same stage of his career where Matt Harvey, you know, went sure. downhill. Sure. Okay. You know, and started having injuries, and 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 that's the question. And you look at the the Chicago Cubs great pitchers. You know, both um, Mark um, Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood. Kerry Wood. You know, those guys. Mark Pryor, by the way, the new pitching coach for the Dodgers. Really? How about that? And 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 it's interesting and. I, I, I'm trying to remember. Did Adam Wainwright throw the curveball that locked up sure Carlos Beltran? Sure and did. he's still pitching. That's, oh, yeah. That's, a, 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 that's an, a, an absolutely amazing thing. So I just think that this is, is changing. And the Yankee Astros series is fascinating. Um, you know, you would think that tomorrow is a must game for the Astros. You know, to. to I think, yet, I think it's a must game for both teams, to be honest with you. Well, you believe that game three is a pivotal game. In I the do. Series. Yeah, I do. I, I think that both teams are in a position. The Yankees have to. I, I know it's very hard with Garrett Cole on the mound. But if they can win that, that game, they're in such a great spot in this series. Such a great spot. Would you ever think of staggering? I mean, I know it's tough because they went to the bullpen so early, making game three your, your bullpen game against Garrett Cole and then pitch Severino in game four. No, because you want Severino available for game seven. So no. What else you got for me, Doc? What do you think of the whole thing with the NCAA? You know, the whole cow- the, They should pay their players. Of course they should. Well, I think the NCAA has handled this really very, very... First of all, poorly. And the NCAA's rules make no sense. So the, idea, the idea that you can get paid for playing a different sport, but you can't get paid for playing the sport you're known for. I mean, there are so many contradictions and hypocriticalness and that the NCAA has become 
um, a pushing, you know, basically a board that just everybody wants to criticize. And then again, they do things that make you want to criticize them. Like I always was aghast at the NCAA fining Penn State over the Jerry Sandusky thing. Like the NCAA is a sports conference for equal sports. They're not the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. They're not the federal court system. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying, just because you can't defend Jerry Sandusky and what he did is so horrific, everybody wants to come down on him. It's just a public relations stunt. It had nothing to do with the competitive balance of football. Correct. Okay. And if I'm a state, you know, and if I'm a taxpayer in Pennsylvania and that's a state university, why do I want my tax paying money that goes to the school to pay a fine to the NCAA Mm -hmm. so that they can pile on? So they they do a lot of different things, but they've also done a poor job. And, And if I was running the NCAA, I would articulate what they're trying to accomplish and recognize that it's very, very difficult. Number one, People have the wrong idea, you know, about a, a lot of different things. Most people in the NCAA playing sports are kids like my son, you know, who will never play serious competitive sports once they start working and it adds to their college experience. And it's, it, it's an excellent vehicle for that. Because of the college basketball tournament, that pays for the NCAA championships in every other sport. What they want is they want competitive balance, they want school spirit, they want a fair playing field, they want to be able to offer you the revenue and non-revenue producing sports. And I feel that they've done a bad job of articulating these things and allowed people like Jay Billis to control the dialogue and say, okay, well, it's not fair that coaches are getting paid $10 you know, million dollars a year and Zion Williamson's not getting paid. That's an exception, you know, with people like that. That's not the general rule. Mm -hmm. It also, if you go look at a place like, for the first time in my life, when I was growing up, I never heard anybody tell me they were going to University of Alabama. Right. Okay. I went to Stuyvesant High School. Okay. We we, we went to places like Penn, et cetera. You You know, People went to the New York State schools. If they went down south, it was to Duke, Vanderbilt, um, Emory. If they weren't that high academically, as high academically, they went to Tulane University of Miami. But no one went to the University of Alabama. Right. Okay? Right. University of Alabama has now become a national school because of the money they've brought in through football. Yep. It's become very profitable yep. that they've reinvested in, in the school. Okay. Notre Dame is one of the hardest schools to get into in the country mm-hmm. by, you know, academically outstanding. I seriously doubt if it wasn't for the Gipper and the sports program that everybody in the country would want to go to South Bend. It would have, it would have that fraternal draw to bring people all over the world. So I think that the NCAA, if they would... Be honest with these things and say that we understand our rules have been contradictory. Our rules may not make sense, but we don't really know what the best rules are. I think they'd be better off changing the dialogue and getting some of these points out rather than to seem that they're stealing money from poor kids. 
the message I'll tell you, the, the messaging for the NCAA is, is terrible. The look is terrible. The public sentiment is not nearly on their side anymore. When you have these greedy businessmen, these commissioners of the Big Ten, of the ACC, say, oh, I, I don't think it's right. Oh, I'm like, you, you, what you're describing, how you're taking money from these poor kids, it looks terrible. It sounds terrible, and it is terrible. But like I said, there's a lot of things, you know, they have to redo the system. Yeah. But, you know, again, what I don't want to see happen, and I think what you're going to see happen, is the system that you're going to see in Europe, okay? Yep. And, and the system in Europe is really not as good for your and my kids. And people say, well, what is the system of Europe? The system in Europe is that there are these large clubs, like, and that's, that, that's what, you know, Barcelona is. And they have, you know, more than just soccer. They have their basketball teams. They have training for tennis. They have uh -huh. all of these things. And what happens is there's no high amateur athletics. So there isn't a place in Europe for the kid that has the college experience sure. to go play baseball. Right. There isn't the college experience for the Division three athlete. There isn't the college experience for, for, for the girls volleyball team and and that's what you know if you start paying players completely what's going to happen is you're going to only have the revenue producing sports because the most of the way the schools work is that the athletic departments have to be somewhat break even so they're basically taking money from the revenue producing sports to have these things in other areas um, and is that the system that we really want I don't think we really do and I think that trying to, I, I really wish that the NCAA had leadership that would express some of the positives that they're trying, you know, start with what they're trying to accomplish and then concede that the way you've been doing it is wrong. That, that's the way I would approach this and then try to come up with a new set of rules. Because I think it would be a shame if we saw a lot of things disappear. And I think that's what we're on the verge of in the next 10 years. Speaking of controversies, Doc, and it's not NCAA related, but it is basketball related, specifically with the NBA and China. China. How do you think of how everything's been handled? Well, you know, I think that the NBA, you know, when it was, it, it's kind of easy. I just gave this, said something similar. It's easy to say that Sandusky's a monster, okay? It's easy to come sure. out against Donald Sterling, okay? It was really, really easy to come out with Donald Sterling. Okay, I think that once the NBA took that position, they have no choice but to turn a blind eye to what Daryl Morey said. But what Daryl Morey did is actually counterproductive for the people that he works for. And every single business person, you have to understand who you work for. So right now we're here in SportsGrid. Is it right that SportsGrid is paying your salary and you do something that it's not like your integrity was was brought about it's not like it was a a you know an issue that hits home it's not like turning a blind eye to slavery the hong kong china situation is a very complex situation and if you're taking salary from the houston rockets you don't take and put your employer into a controversy that they don't have to be in i mean it, it, the bottom line is he is not going to be punished because of the position that the NBA has taken. And it will look bad if the NBA looks contradictory after trying to explain free pre press and stuff like that. 
But the issues, for example, Colin Kaepernick, LeBron James, these are issues that involve these type of players. Okay, the situation in Hong Kong, I'm not sure involves Daryl Morey. And as an executive of the Houston Rockets, I wouldn't fire him because I couldn't with the NBA thing. But if I own the Rockets, I'd be furious. I'm sure Tillman Vertetta is furious. I'd be absolutely furious because I, you know, and, and maybe I sound like a hypocrite, you know, that you should be doing what's right and stuff like that. But there are some issues that don't involve your workplace and that you don't have to take a position on. And if they hurt your employer, I, I, I think that's part of the oath of office that you take for cashing their paycheck. And, and I'm not trying to, to enforce a, 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 a policy where people, you know, are treated wrongly by the Houston Rockets. That's a different story. You know, if the Rockets were doing something that was prejudicial. And then he has every right to speak up. But on global world issues, if he has a problem with their relationship with China because of Hong Kong, that should be said in private because he's taking their paycheck. So what he did was not great for his employer. You have Steve Kerr tweeting and speaking out against the president at all times. I understand that, but I don't think that negatively right now, especially with this, this, this president affects the, the go, you know, and it's, it, you also have to understand China, okay? China functions as a business, mm-hmm. okay? It, 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 the government is more like a board of a business than it is a true government. We use the word authoritative, but essentially they run the business of China and whatever good for the business of China. So they're much more capable of a stonewall policy because just like, you know, a board of, a board can say, okay, we're not doing business there. China's capable of doing that and, and, and doing stuff. When you get into domestic and, and curse-free speech and stuff like that, I don't think that adversely affects the Golden State's business, especially in a liberal market like Golden State. Fair enough. All right. Before we wrap up, Doug, anything else for us here? So it's, I, I guess we should do some, uh, some predictions let's do as, it. as we go. Let's do it. So we started off with NFL football. Yes, sir. So let's, let, let's go... Tonight's game, Green Bay against the Lions. Yeah, Green Bay versus Detroit. Detroit, three and a half point dogs in Green Bay tonight. Which basically means the Lions makers think they're about to pick teams. That's correct. About Green Bay, a little bit better. A little bit better. Um, Green Bay's been able to run the football. I think Detroit's been able to stop the run. I think Detroit covers tonight. I think Green Bay wins. Okay. I mean, I, 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 I'm not going to buy in for the Lions yet. And I'm going to say that, you know, if, if Green Bay... Uh, you know, can beat Dallas in Dallas. They can beat uh, Detroit at home. Let's go to next week. And I think a, a very interesting game. Giants, Arizona. Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones battle the first two rookie quarterbacks taken this year in the NFL draft. Can the Giants stop the explosive Arizona Cardinals offense? No. Does, do they have to? Maybe. You like Arizona, huh? Well, I, I think that, you know, you know and I, I would have told you, I think that Brady is easier for the Giants to play, right. you know, than, than Kirk Cousins was. And I know right. that sounds absolutely I know, stupid. I, I understand what you're saying. Okay. It doesn't sound well, great, but I understand. I, I, I mean, it sounds like they're going to play that quote on the radio and say, where, where did they find this idiot? Yeah. Okay. But, but Minnesota runs a lot of bootlegs. Giants overreact to everything. I, I just think that that's a matchup of hell for the Giants. And, you know, matchups make things. Sure. Um, the Giants like a stationary target. 
and and they hate bootlegs and people that run, run out. And even if you don't run well, they had trouble with Jameis Winston's bootlegs and stuff like that. So I, I don't buy that the Giants' defense has gotten worlds better yet. I think that, you know, that's going to be a very high-scoring game. Jets, New England. That's Monday night, Doc. I will take, I think the Giants for the record, by the way. I'm going to disagree with you. I think the Giants. Uh, Jets, New England. I, I hope I, the Giants. New England and Bill Belichick get the job done. But don't cover. The Jets. Cover or don't cover? <laughs> they cover. They cover the 10. I think they cover the 10. Baseball playoffs. Let's do it. Yankees, Astros. It's not fair. I think the Yankees are the better team. I think the Yankees are in the series. How about that? My preseason prediction was the Astros winning the World Series. But you're going to... I think the Yankees are a better team. And you think the Nationals are going to hold against St. Louis? I think that series is not over yet. I think that series is not over yet. I'll say that. The Nationals are probably better. I don't know that that series is over yet. I think that goes longer than people think. I, you know, I always thought Houston was going to beat the Yankees. Okay. And I think that the, I, I, I like the way Boone's managing yep. and I like the way the Yankees are playing so hard every at bat. Yeah, sure. And I, I mean, I think that Houston's really, really gritty. I, I thought the Minnesota series was really, really interesting. The Minnesota pitches just could not finish off the Yankee hitters. Correct. And I, I think what's going to happen as this series goes on is that the Houston bullpen's not going to be able to finish off the Yankee hitters. I think that the, the, the quote of the year is going to be Boone's, my guys are savages in the box. And, you know, I think that Houston, with the catcher and the young designated hitter, has more undisciplined outs in the lineup than the Yankees do. And I think that... This is going to be like a boxing match, and I think the Yankees are going to wear out their pitching. And I think the Yankees, I, I, I think, you know, I think Verlander was really taxed last night. It's very unusual that they'd go get him and not finish the inning, sure. but he was truly out of gas. And you don't say that very often when it comes to Justin Verlander. Yeah, I, so I think that the Yankees are going to... I, I think even going into the 10th, 11th inning, I think the Yankees are going to wear them down. And then once it becomes a battle of attrition, which is similar to what happened in the Dodger-Houston series when Houston won it. it. It's like everybody was just done. I mean, there was no one who could get anybody out by the end of that series, if you remember correctly. Sure. It, Absolutely. It, I mean, they, they, they just, I think the Yankees are going to do that to Houston. I sure as hell hope so. He is Dr. Mitchell Roslin. I am Greg Sussman. This has been an absolute blast. Remember, check out all of our other episodes wherever you listen to your podcast, as well as checking out YouTube. And all you got to do is search for the name Doc Jock. He's Mitchell Roslin. I'm Greg Sussman. Have a fantastic, fantastic night. And we'll see you next time. Good night. Good night.